Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Luke chapter 15, and I'm reading from verse 8. Let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's Word. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's been a movement in churches lately to preach feel-good messages. I think you all know the, the type that I'm speaking of, uh, where the preacher gets up and shares somewhat of a, a motivational speech, where you're told to uh, believe in yourself because you are, are awesome. And we do well to be on guard against this type of preaching. But it's important that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can be so careful about not proclaiming a, a feel-good message that we can neglect those parts of God's Word where the church is, is lifted up in the eyes of God. And this is uh, one of those passages, I believe, as, as the woman uh, lifts up the coin that she has found and, and, and rejoices. So the Lord rejoices over, over sinners who, who repent. Last time I was here, we, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep. And we, we looked a little bit at, at, at the atonement, how the good shepherd came and gave his life for his sheep. And then it was the good shepherd, he, he left the 99 so-called righteous peoples and sought after the one that was lost. Because the good shepherd is the good physician that came not for those who are well, but for those who, who are sick. And so the shepherd laid down his life for, for his sheep. And so I'm sure you, you know where we're at in the story. We've had these um, tax collectors and sinners draw near to Christ. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a charge against the Lord and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And how did Jesus respond? He responded by, by telling three simple, practical, but very profound stories. And in each of these stories, we can learn something about the heart of God towards repentant sinners. And so, uh, my sermon this afternoon is called The Coin That Was Lost. But the co before the coin was ever, uh, excuse me, my sermon is called The Coin That Was Found. Before the coin was ever found, it was in a state of lostness. The coin was lost. We're introduced to this coin in a parable that is in a state of lostness. Now, I'm a bit of an expert at losing things. You can ask my wife, after the service, and she'll tell you uh, that most mornings on my way to work, I've either lost my keys or my wallet or, or my phone or something like this. But in each of those 
situations, I'm the one who's responsible for losing my things. I am responsible. But when it comes to the coin that, that is lost in this parable here, as that coin represents sinners in their state outside of Christ, we must recognise that it is, the, the, it is us, it is the coin who is responsible for its own state of lostness. We are lost because of our sin. We are lost in our sin. We are all guilty. We, we are born in sin. And it's been this way ever, ever since the fall, where God sought out these new sinners in the garden and he said, where are you? Adam and Eve could have responded by saying, we are lost. We are lost and we have sinned. And surely that is the case for each of us. We've all rebelled against God. He's given us his perfect standard and we fall far short. And so we are lost sinners. And the sinner outside of Christ is like a boat in the middle of the ocean with no sail, with no rudder, with no engine, with no compass, no map, not even a light to guide the way. Like a ship in the ocean just drifting in a sea of lostness. That is the sinner outside of Christ. And that is what we're talking about here as we learn lessons from the coin. You know, a coin cannot find itself. If, if you're at home and, and a coin falls out of your pocket and goes down the side uh, of, the, of the couch, there's no way for that coin in and of itself to find its way back into your purse. If a coin is lost, then a coin is entirely dependent on someone to find it. A coin cannot find itself. And you would laugh at the idea of a coin being able to, to find its way back into a wallet. Well, so it is with sinners. As the coin is entirely uh, dependent upon the woman to find it, so sinners are dependent upon God for salvation. We are utterly helpless and hopeless in our state of lostness. We need God to intervene. And in this passage, we learn that God in his sovereignty intervenes. Yes, God does a work. He is sovereign even over our salvation. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God intervenes. We can praise the Lord that he is sovereign over our salvation. And while we are, are in a state of helplessness and, and hopelessness, and we cannot be found in and of ourselves, we can praise God that, that he 
seeks out and finds lost sinners. You know, often you hear people say the phrase, I found God. We could respond by saying, dear friend, God was not the one who was lost. You were the one who was lost and you were the one that has been found by God if you are in Christ. So we've learnt some lessons from the coin. And the next object that we read of in our parable is a lamp. Lessons from the lamp. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? What is the lamp that we read of in our passage here today? Once upon a time, God lit the lamp of the sun in the sky that shines its light brightly upon the earth. Once upon a time, God lit the candles of the stars and he put each one in its place to shine forth brilliantly throughout the universe. Once upon a time, God lit the burning bush. Moses was asked to take off his sandals because he was treading upon holy ground. What is the lamp that we read of in our passage today? Well, it is the most magnificent lamp that God has ever lit. It truly outshines the sun in brilliance. What is it that God lit? The gospel. The gospel. As the woman here lights a lamp to sweep her house to search out for her lost coin, God has lit the light of the gospel to seek out lost sinners. And what is this gospel? It is the good news. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done for us. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That he would lay down his life on the cross. That that infinite gap between a holy God and sinful man has been bridged by the work of Christ. And we can have reconciliation with God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To seek out lost sinners, God lit the light of the gospel. We read about this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, well, Jesus said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And, you know, we read about this in, in the book of Acts, where churches are formed and the gospel is preached. And that work continues on and sinners are called in to the kingdom to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you come and, and, and gather here each Lord's Day, it is as if God takes his lantern and he sweeps this room the light of the gospel sweeps this room going from left to right and bursts of light flicker from his lamp upon the souls of sinners and lost coins reflect that light 
God seeks and saves sinners through his glorious gospel, the light of the gospel. And as, as God is, is sovereign over the salvation of, of sinners, he has chosen to use us as a part of his divine plan. Each of us bear a role in this. We have a responsibility. If, if God's gospel light has shone upon us and we've turned to Christ, it's important that we then take that message and share it with others. In your workplace, in, in your schools, with your friends and family, whatever it may be, we have a duty to take this light out. We read in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Friends, we must not be secret Christians. We must remember, if we are ashamed of the Lord Jesus, then he will one day be ashamed of us when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels. And so each of us must play our part in sharing the light of the gospel with others. So we've learned some lessons from the coin and some lessons from the candle. And next we see lessons from the woman. And this is where we really start to get to the heart of this parable. You see, the woman placed such a high value on her coin that she searched for it diligently. It's as if she would not sleep until she finds her lost coin. Why is that? Because she has set such a high value on her coin. She loves her lost coin. And I don't think it's coincidental that the Lord has given us a coin as the object in this parable. What is a coin but something that has value? A coin is something that has value. And, you know, we're not told if this woman is perhaps a widow or something, but what we're told is that she simply has 10 of these coins and the one that is lost is very precious to her. It's very precious to her. Just as lost sinners are precious in the eyes of Christ as he seeks them out. And so what is the attitude of the woman after she finds this coin that she's been searching for? Her attitude is rejoicing. She has an attitude of celebration and of rejoicing. We read about that in, in verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. We read similar words in, in the first parable, reading from verse 5. And when he has found, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying, saying to them, Rejoice with me, 
for I have found my sheep that was lost. And in the third parable, verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The woman celebrates and rejoices over the fact that she has found her coin because her coin is precious and valuable to her. As it is with this woman rejoicing over her coin that was found, so there is rejoicing in heaven when a sinner turns to Christ. Verse 10 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is heavenly rejoicing over sinners who repent. As sinners turn to Christ. Let's say one of the unconverted people in, even in this room, even this afternoon, one person, one sinner, were to hear the gospel preached this afternoon and was to turn from their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were to turn to Christ, heaven would erupt in triumphant song, rejoicing, shouts of joy as a sinner turns to Christ. God would invite the host of heaven to join in in celebrating a sinner who is found, who is found in Christ. You know, throughout the scriptures, we have this idea that uh, the church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we read in Revelation of uh, the, the great marriage supper of the Lamb, this great rejoicing in heaven. This is uh, Revelation chapter 19 from verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is the bride of Christ. And as this woman rejoices over her coin, and as a, as a, a groom rejoices over his bride, so the Lord Jesus rejoices over us if we are found in him. We can develop this idea further. Look at the, the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. If, if we 
keep this idea in mind that, that even a marriage relationship between a man and a woman represents the relationship that Christ has with his church. We can take that idea and get a, a bit of a glimpse of how Christ views his bride. I'm reading from um, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, from verse 4. He says, You are beautiful as tears are, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. So we can see that, that the Lord really has a profound love for his church. Just as this woman has such a profound love for her coin. If you are a Christian, you are, as it were, the apple of his eye. The apple of Christ's eye. It is as if you are glistening before him as something precious and something valuable. There is an opulence to the church of Christ. We are precious in his eyes and we are valuable. And we see that Jesus paid the highest price to redeem us. The ransom price on our heads. Jesus poured out his precious blood to redeem us. And so church, you glisten and you sparkle like a diamond in the eyes of God. He looks upon you as something precious and valuable. You are like a bride dressed in white, walking down the aisle. And the Lord Jesus is like your groom, with tears of love welling up in his eyes as you come before him, as he rejoices over you, as this woman rejoices over her coin. But... Even as I, I share this, there is, there is a tension that we feel, isn't there? We all feel that, that something doesn't quite sit right with what I've just said. We hear these truths and we want to grasp hold of these truths, but every time you try, it's like it, it slips out of your hand. Why is that? You know, think, think of this coin that is lost. It doesn't know why the woman is, is searching out for it. It was just a, a piece of silver that was cut and formed into a coin. And now it's lost somewhere in a woman's house. But why is it that we struggle to, to, to grasp hold of this truth of how Christ sees us as his church? Well... Surely it's, be it's because we're sinners, are we not? We, we, we don't measure up. Certainly we are sinners. We fail. And if we look at this idea of being, being the bride of Christ, certainly we are an unfaithful bride. We have 
played the whore time and time again. We look at our own lives and we see that we are filthy, broken sinners. And you would ask, how is it that God could ever love a wretch like me? How could God ever love a wretch like me? Maybe you look around at the church and see the state that the church is in. Part of you wants to cry out, does the Lord not deserve more? Is this really the precious, spotless, beautiful bride of Christ? Is this the coin that he loves? Surely not. Well, the Lord would respond by saying, surely it is. Yes, I love my bride. I love my coin. I rejoice that I have found my coin. Why, why is this? Well, I want to ask you all, what makes a coin valuable? What makes a coin valuable? Kids, I'm sure you've played a game of heads or tails before, where you flipped a coin. And when it comes up as heads, what do you see? You see a face. You see royalty. You see the queen. And one day soon, when the new coins come out, you'll see the face of, of King Charles. What makes a coin valuable is because it bears the image of the king. A coin bears the image of the king. And we as coins, if we are in Christ, we bear his image. Sure, in and of ourselves, we are defiled. We are filthy. We are unworthy. Not deserving of anything of what God has done for us or of the way that he sees us. Of ourselves, we are unlovely, undesirable sinners, but the Lord God Almighty has placed his value on us. His inscription is, is stamped on us, as it were. He places his value on us. And so with that in mind, we don't have to be uncomfortable with this doctrine of, of how God views the church. We are precious in his eyes, not because of who we are in and of ourselves, but because of who we are in Christ. Imagine you, you go to a gallery and there's a bunch of blank canvases hanging up on the wall. There'd be nothing to see. You would turn around and, and, and go home and look at something else. It is when an artist adds his brush strokes to the canvas. That's when a work of art is made. And it is God's brush strokes upon us that make us valuable and precious. Like a coin that a woman searched diligently for and holds it up. And as it glistens in the light, she says, yes, I have found my coin which I love. 
That is God's attitude over a sinner who repents. So keeping all of that in mind, we can go back to the start of the chapter and read verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And it's as if Jesus responds by saying, Yes, yes, I receive sinners. I do. And you will not speak ill of my precious coin. That is my coin that I love. Do not speak ill of my coin. The charge comes before the Lord. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus would respond by saying, yes. Yes. And I will eat with them at that eternal feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And blessed are all of those who have a seat at that table. And so the Lord would call all to turn from your sins and to put your faith in Him, to trust in the Lord, so that you too may be welcomed into that eternal feast. And for those of us in this room who who have accepted the Lord, how can we respond when when we hear of of His great love to us? How how, How do we receive this and respond to this? Well, we receive it like like a bride. Receiving uh, the rejoicing of, of her new husband. And God has, has given us a song in His holy word that uh, helps us with, with this idea. This is Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And I want you to keep in mind as I read this, and I'll, I'll conclude the sermon with these words. But keep in mind the abundance of God's love towards us and how we are thankful. And then we respond with words like this, becoming the song of our heart in response to the Lord. This is Psalm 63. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 8. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry, weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. 
my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that while each of us have found ourselves out in the sea of lostness, while we have turned away from your ways and followed a path of destruction, we only have ourselves to blame. Lord, we thank you that you would intervene, that you would save us, that you would save sinners. We thank you, O God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his work, his work of redemption, his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection. We are so grateful, O Lord. And we don't, we cannot, Lord, fully comprehend the abundance of your great love towards us. But we thank you, God, that we have received a glimpse of that, a tiny fraction of a glimpse to that in your word this afternoon. And we respond in thankfulness and in joy. So we thank you, O Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.